Hey everyone, welcome to Grace Community Church of Willow Street's podcast. If you have any questions or want to learn how you can be more engaged with our church, check us out online at gccws.net, or you can connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. We are praying that it leads you into a growing relationship with Jesus. What do I do? Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Lord, we are so thankful for the various opportunities that you give us to reach out to people, to serve, and that you make opportunities clear to us where we can minister. And Lord, we lift up Pastor Steve to you as he's about to go to Uganda, and we know that with the unexpected aspect of it, it can be difficult, but we know, Lord, and trust that your Holy Spirit will be guiding. And I pray that you will make that clear, that you will show them how to work with the people there and how to care for them and how to show them your love and that at the end of the day, they'll see what you've done through it and they'll see your work. Lord, we're thankful for your guidance and even when times come up that are unexpected, we know that we can trust you and believe in you and, and that you're at work, whether we can see it at first or not. So Lord, we ask a special blessing on Pastor Steve and his team. We thank you for the, the opportunities that have come up for the uh, women's retreat and for the, the youth retreat, too. And I pray, Lord, that their hearts will be all softened and ready to hear what you have to say and that they'll be changed. And, Lord, that it will be an impactful time that will just refresh their hearts and that they can continue to live for you in new ways and in fresh ways and see you differently and see you more clearly through it. We know that you're are everywhere and that you're watching over and are with each of those different groups and will be with Pastor Steve. And we thank you, Lord, that you are caring in that way. God, we thank you that we have this time today to worship together. We want to surrender that time to you and surrender ourselves to you for what you want to do in us. Lord, we know that you have been working in each of us. And Lord, I pray that our hearts will be soft and ready to, to do and to receive the the wisdom that you give us, the guidance that you give us. And we know that you are constantly active and that your word is, is active and can cut into us and it can hurt sometimes. But we, we're thankful, Lord, that you don't leave us to be just the sinful people that we are. You've given us a chance to be in relationship with you and to be saved as we make you our Lord and Savior. And we thank you for that truth, God. In February, too, especially, we want to lift up uh, GCC-supported missionary Rachel Kummer as she is ministering as well. And Lord, we ask just a special blessing on her and her ministry and that you will make the opportunities clear, that you'll be putting her in the right places at the right times. And Lord, we know that as you work with her and the people she interacts with, you're, you are also showing us who to interact with on a daily basis. And I pray that we will be looking for how to, how to care for people in a way that sees the value of eternity and that you'll give us clear vision and make opportunities clear. So Lord, please refresh us this morning. Convict us of our sinfulness and show us yourself more clearly. And bless Pastor Paul as he comes to speak from your word and, and share the message that you've laid on his heart. We're thankful, Lord, that you are a caring and personal God and that you are with us. And though we are sinful, you love us and have given us a chance to be in relationship with you again. So thank you for that, God. In your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen. If you'll join me today, we'll be reading from Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 13. 
At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. We don't normally begin our services this way, but I would like to encourage you all to read with me the Apostles' Creed. Now, if you're not familiar with the Apostles' Creed, it is nearly 2,000 years old. It's one of the oldest creeds that we have in Christianity, and I would like us to read this together. So, simultaneously, would you join me in one voice? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Communion Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. The Apostles' Creed opens with a phrase, a line, I believe in God. A.W. Tozer in his famous book, Knowledge of the Holy, says this, what comes to your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. This week, we begin a brand new sermon series we are calling God. And it is a sermon series that will look at the critical attributes of God, his power, his grace, his wrath, his jealousy, his mercy, his glory. And, and there's a temptation, I just gotta, can I just confess something? I think confession's good, isn't it good? Yeah, some of you are like, no, don't do that. You know, it'd be awkward. One of the, conf- one of the concerns I have is that if we dive into this, that, that somewhere in your mind you might say, I'm happy with knowing very little about God, and I don't need to know that much. And you'll like, shut off your attention. And, and to be honest with you, that concern I know isn't true, but I've been feeling it all week. Because there's some things we're going to jump into about God that you might be tempted to say, I don't need to know all that, I'm going to turn that off. And if, and if you do that, and that's your mindset, what you're really saying to yourself is, I prefer to drink milk and not have meat. And to be honest with you, I know none of that's true because we're Lancaster Countyans and we like meat. Amen. We like the sirloin and the filet and the New York strip, and we want the whole ribeye, right? Some of you know what you're having for dinner tonight. You didn't know until I just said all that. You don't want milk, do you? You don't want to have the kind of faith that is milky. You want the kind of faith where you have tasted and you know. And so we're going to jump into God. And, and we're going to jump in to the deep end. 
because we're going to study today the unity of God. Scripture teaches that God is one. And then it also teaches that God is three distinct persons. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So here's the question for today. How can God be one and also three distinct persons? We call this mystery the Trinity. The Trinity is foundational to Christianity. You cannot claim that you are a Christian and not believe in the Trinity. The Trinity means that there is one God in three persons. Now, when the scriptures say that God is one, we are saying that Christianity is a monotheistic religion. We don't believe in many gods or a pantheon of gods. We believe in one God. We don't believe in three gods. We believe in one God. Deuteronomy 6.4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, say this with me, the Lord is one. That's clearly taught in Scripture. God is one. And yet, Scripture also teaches that he is three persons. Now, the language for persons is critical. It's not me or anybody else trying to be fancy. The early church really wrestled with how do you describe the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And they came up with the idea, let's call them persons, because it appropriately, appropriately describes the personality of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and their relationship. Now notice this. The Father, Son, and the Spirit, they're equal. They're not each other, but they're equal in power and rank and glory and majesty. Now consider what Jesus taught us in Matthew 28 when he said this, To us, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You notice the uniqueness of each person of the Trinity is clearly spelled out in Matthew 28. Here we see three distinct persons, a Father, a Son, and a Holy Spirit. Yet Jesus also teaches us something about the Trinity and the fact that God is one here. Well, Monday night, we baptized eight people right here. And when, if you were here, it was, it was great. But if you were here and you were listening and paying close attention, what you noticed was that when Pastor Mike baptized people, he didn't baptize them by saying, I baptize you in the names of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. No, he copied Jesus and he said, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The reason why the word name is singular and not plural is because Jesus is teaching us that God is one and yet God is three distinct persons. Matthew 28, verse 19, is the clearest expression of the Trinity found in Scripture, and it was taught by Jesus. It was taught by Jesus. Pastor and professor Kevin DeYoung says, the doctrine of the Trinity is the most critical Christian doctor, doctrine we have, but most people never think about it. He says, that the doctrine of the Trinity is the most important Christian doctrine that most people never think about. Unfortunately, today wouldn't give us enough time to explain the complexity, the full complexity of the Trinity. Many over the years have tried to explain it. They've tried to give illustrations. They've tried to talk about it in such confusing ways that no one really understands it. And the reality is, is that's not the goal. 
for today. But what we will wrestle with in our time is this question. Why does this even matter? Why are we taking time to explain to you the Trinity, and why am I going to then encourage you to take this explanation and tell your children and tell your grandchildren? Years ago, I became a Christian at 16. By the time I was in my early 20s, I was already doing missions trips to other places. One of those places was the Dominican Republic. On one occasion, I was there with a group of people, and we were working in a village, and we had heard that the next village over, there was a witch doctor. Now, I'm in my 20s, and I love God. And I think God is all-powerful, and he's always with us. And I'm like, let's go. Let's go. And so that evening, we got together, we prayed, and we said, the next day, we're going to go to that village. And we entered into that village, and we went house to house, talking to people about Jesus, sharing the gospel of Jesus. And one of the things that we noticed is that people in their homes had bracelets around their wrists with beads all over them, and we learned that those, beads, those bracelets were given by the witch doctor to protect them from evil spirits. And in my Christian mind, I thought, well, that's crazy. You got the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You don't need some bracelet. You've got God. And so we're sharing the gospel, inviting people into relationship with God. We make our way down the street, down this one alley, clearly could identify that's where the witch doctor lives. I don't have to describe to you why. It was obvious. And so we go there, and there's men standing outside the gate to get into the witch doctor's property because we're like, we're going to go and tell her about Jesus. And we're standing there, and the three men greet us, and they said, you won't believe this, but the witch doctor died this morning. And there's a part of me in my side, my gut, that said, well, good. You know, we have to deal with that. And so it was incredible because then we got to share the gospel of more people in the village and they began to take off their bracelets because they realized that God is way more powerful than some witch doctor. You see, I tell you that story because it's an important lesson that in my early years, I believed so much that God was personal and powerful and that there was no witch doctor who could stand against his word. Didn't Jesus say the gates of hell cannot prevail? And we believe that. And yet there's a part of us, because we've grown comfortable and we've grown safe and we've grown confined to this county, that we somehow go, well, I don't know if I could do that now. You know, the reality is that God is powerful and God is with you. And he wants us to tell the world about him correctly. And yet some of us are here comfortable. And we no longer see God as mighty and powerful, able to break the chains of the devil you know, it's interesting in Mark 1, the Holy Spirit sends Jesus out into the wilderness with Satan. You know what he's doing with you and I that are Christians and followers of Jesus Christ? He's sending us out in the world with the devil. You better have a great view of God and not a view of a God who wants to keep you comfortable. A God who wants to say, I want you to be so uncomfortable. Look what Francis Chan says in his book, Crazy Love. If you don't own his book, you should rent it or you should buy it. Either one, find it. This is what he says. God doesn't call us to be comfortable. He calls us to trust him so completely that we are unafraid to put ourselves in situations where we will be in trouble if he doesn't come through. That's the kind of God you serve. He wants to put you in situations where you are uncomfortable and you are, in a sense, unafraid to say, God, if you don't show up here, we're going to have a problem. And that's what he wants. 
He wants you and I to be sent out to battle with witch doctors and the devil and to rescue people from an eternal hell. Why? Because if we choose to sit and become comfortable, the billions of people will perish. This is why we send Steve and we send out missionaries and we support missionaries and God calls every one of us to do the same thing. And if we do not tell the next generation about this great and glorious God that we're going to study for the next several weeks, then this is what will happen. We ourselves could potentially have an entire generation who will fail to worship God correctly and witness for him boldly. And we don't want that. We do not want that. Now, if Matthew 28, verse 19 is the clearest teaching of the Trinity taught by Jesus, then the best illustration of the Trinity is found in Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. I want to read this for you again, and then we're going to dive into deeply the Trinity a little bit this morning. Here we go, Mark chapter 1. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming out of the water, circle that, highlight that, bold that. That phrase, coming out of the water, is crucial. And to be honest with you, we just skip on by it. It is so important. He saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending like a dove. There again, highlight, circle, bold that. And the voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love with you. I am well pleased. In his commentary on the Gospel of Mark, Tim Keller, this, the rest of the next 20 minutes is Tim Keller and C.S. Lewis all combined. So if you think I say anything brilliant, I don't. I'm just stealing. Tim Keller points out that the Spirit of God is depicted like a, like a dove here in Mark chapter 1. And what he says is that's, that's typical for you and I. When you think of the Holy Spirit, you think of a dove. That's, that's what our culture has taught us. But when Mark wrote Mark chapter 1, that was not common. People weren't thinking about the Holy Spirit in the sense of a dove. Matter of fact, Keller goes on to say the only time in human history other than Mark chapter 1 where the Holy Spirit is described like a dove is back in the Aramaic translation of Genesis. Now, you might not know this. You have a Bible in front of you or on your phone. That Bible's in English. The Old Testament wasn't just written in English. It was written in many languages. One of those was Aramaic. The rabbis who wrote Aramaic had in mind to think of the Holy Spirit like a dove. Now, I want to read for you Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 in English, and I'm going to read you the English translation of the Aramaic so you can see this. Here's Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering. The word hovering there means to flutter. That's what it means. He was hovering over the waters, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. Now look at the Aramaic translation of that same verse. I want you to see this. And the earth was without form and empty, and the darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God, hear this, fluttered above the face of the waters like a dove. They add the phrase, like a dove. This is written centuries before Mark even comes on the scene. They had seen that the Holy Spirit was like a dove, and he fluttered. Now, why is this interesting? This is interesting because in the beginning, long before Mark ever comes on the scene, long before the flesh, the Word of God becomes flesh, John chapter 1, there is the Trinity. 
Do you see it here in the very beginning, Genesis chapter 1? What do you see? You see there's a God, you see God's spirit, and you see God's word. That's triune. That's the trinity. The word of God is Jesus Christ. We know that from John chapter 1. So this is God, God's spirit, and God's word. And so what Mark picks up in Mark chapter 1 is the same kind of language. What do you see in Mark chapter 1? You see Jesus. You see God's spirit fluttering like a dove. You see God's voice coming from the heavens speaking. And then you see Jesus. And what does it say about Jesus? He's coming out of the water. So you see the father's voice is coming down, the dove is fluttering around, and Jesus is coming out of the water. Now here's the question for the morning. Why in the world do we need to know that Jesus is coming out of the water? You know, think about it. On Monday night, we baptized eight people. If they don't come out of the water, we have a problem. Right? We got a big problem. Some of you are like, I'm not trusting those preachers. I mean, they can speak, but don't let them put you underwater. So why do I need to know this? The reason why you need to know this is because you need to see that the Father is speaking and the Spirit is fluttering and the Son is coming. This is how the Trinity interacts. This is not about us. This is about God coming together as a Trinity, interacting with one another. The Father and the Son and the Spirit, they encircle and they envelop one another. They're, just, they're all about each other. That's the picture you get. Jesus described it in Matthew 28, but Mark 1, we actually see it in action, like it was before Genesis. This is what the Spirit and the Father and the Son do. They envelop one another. They encircle one another. And so this has massive implications for us as a church, and it has massive implications for us individually. I want to tackle, number one, us as a church. What does the Trinity have to do with us as a church? Here it is. As a church, the Trinity helps us appreciate that there can be unity in diversity. There can be unity in diversity. Our world today either wants all diversity or all unity. Our world today either says we won't find common ground socially, politically, or religiously. That's the diverse crowd. Or our world says everybody must be the same. That's what our world says. It says you can't have unity and diversity. Yet in Mark chapter 1, what do you see? You see that there's a trinity. It's united, and yet it's diverse. They encircle one another, approve one another, affirm and appreciate one another, and yet they're distinct, Father, Son, and Spirit. What's even more incredible is that they are united together in the same work of salvation. I didn't see this until I opened up part of this book, Our Triune God, by Philip Graham Riken and Michael LeBray. And they actually say that if you look at the Trinity, you see they're one, and yet they each have a distinct role in our salvation. The Father appoints, the Son accomplishes, and the Spirit applies. The Father appoints, the Son accomplishes, and the Spirit applies. Being united and yet Remaining diverse is possible because God teaches us that it's possible. And if you don't know this, you should. We are created in God's image. Back in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, what does it say? Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. The reason why you and I want to get along and yet still remain individuals 
It's because God has put that within us. He has said to us, you can be united and still stay distinct. And so the implications then are immense for us as a church. We must, in a sense, know who we are, where our home is, and why in the world we are doing what we are doing today. We must remain united. I don't know if you realize this, but the devil wants us to separate. He wants us to break apart. He wants us to have a massive divide. He wants there to be fights and chaos, and he wants us to be, you know, screaming and yelling at each other. He doesn't want us to be united. And yet the world that we live in today, what does it do? It wants us to separate. We have, I don't know if you realize this, we have an entire generation that's coming up that's addicted to chaos. They are. Every time the next generation turns around, something chaotic happens. There's a shooting. There's some kind of disease that's going to wipe us all out. There's some kind of war. And so that's what they're getting used to. They're getting used to chaos. And you know what the beauty is when they step inside of a healthy church? It's calm. And they say, wow, this is different. You guys get along? You guys don't scream and yell at each other? There's not egos being shifted around here? We go, no, that's, that's not how God interacts. That's not how we're going to interact. Amen? And yet then, think about the world we live in. It, it wants us all to be the same. You know, this is the whole, whole issue with gender confusion. It wants everybody to be the same. And yet God has created us in his image, in his own likeness, male and female. He doesn't want us to be the same. God wants us to say, you know what? You can be united and still stay male and female. The other day, last year, I bought a program called Grammarly. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Okay. I didn't mention this at the 8 o'clock crowd because I didn't think, well, they even have computers, you know, so they, would they know. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but I didn't mention it. And so I know some of you are like, now, now he's lost me. You know, now, now I'm mad, you know. Uh, I'm just, it was a joke, okay? Can we joke? You know? He's talking about the whole unity thing? That's over, you know? <laughs> like a year ago, I, I purchased this subscription to Grammarly, and I didn't realize that Grammarly came preloaded with some settings. The last, like, four or five months, I've been fighting with Grammarly because it wants to change some of my words. Grammarly, if you don't know about it, it's a web-based program that helps you to have better grammar. And so... It changes some of my words every now and then. I'm, I'll change the word, it'll change it back, and I'll change a word, it'll change it back. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. So then this week, I can't even believe this. This week, I went into the settings, and I didn't realize this, but Grammarly had preloaded my settings to read, in, in, to, to be under the caption of inclusive language. I thought, what? So I turned that off. I was like, that's ridiculous. No, we can be distinct. And, and here's the thing. In our world, we feel bad about that. I don't feel bad about that. The, the Trinity tells me I can turn those settings off. And the Trinity tells me that we can be united and remain diverse. You see, the Trinity of God is this doctrine that teaches us when the world says you have to be you know, all the same, we can say, no, 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 hold on a second. We have a triune God who is one and yet three. And so here's the point. The point is, we must see that God is the same, and yet there is a Father, and He's not trying to be the Son, and there is a Son, and He's not trying to be the Father, and there is a Spirit, and He's not trying to be either. 
And they encircle and they envelop one another and they're happy in that. And they're holy in that. And in a sense, in the church, we get to reflect that. The Trinity also has implications for us relationally. Not just as a church, but individually. Think about this for a second. As we understand the Trinity, individually, it helps us to understand the importance of loving relationships. Let me ask you a question. This is a very serious question. At the end of your life, will you have relational regrets or possessional regrets? Let me spell that out. At the end of your life, are you going to be more concerned with the relationships that you have around you? Or are you going to be sitting there in your deathbed going, oh, I wish I could hold that 1952 Topps rookie Mickey Mantle card just one more time. If you have a Topps 1952 rookie Mickey Mantle card, please come let us know. We want to teach you how you can use that for the kingdom, by the way. (laughs) Or are you going to be sitting there in your deathbed and you're going to be saying, oh, if I could sit in my 68 Chevy Camaro with that convertible top just one more time. Can I go to my beach house in Cape Henlopen just one more time? Now, if you're sitting there saying, well, that's why the preacher's saying that, because he has all those things, I don't. I don't. But if you do, let's hang out. (laughs) At the end of your life, what kind of regrets will you have, possessional or relational? At the end of my life, I'm not going to care about my cards and my cars and all that stuff. I'm going to say I want to talk to my daughters one more time. I want to tell them that their dad loves them. I want to kiss my wife one more time. How about you? See, at the end of our lives, we're going to have relational regrets, not possessional regrets. Yet in Mark chapter 1, what do we see? We see that the father loves his son long before the son ever is on the cross. For the simple fact that he is his son, that they are in a relationship and there is love there. You see, the Trinity teaches us how to have loving relationships. The father looks at the son and he says, you are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. The words that every son wants to hear from their father. And sadly in our world, the words that sons rarely hear from their father. And so why would God the Father say this? We must pay close attention to what is happening here in this movement. We must see that the Son is coming towards the Father. The Father and the Spirit are coming towards the Son. And they're all coming together and they're all circling around one another. And this is a picture of mutual self-giving love exhibited by the Trinity. They are in love with one another. And so this is the question I asked when I was reading through this. Then why in the world did you create me, God? If you had love, perfect, why did you create me? You see, some people believe that God created us because he wanted to get something from us. That would be a wrong view of God. I believe that God created us because he wants to give us something. He he wasn't satisfied in a sense of keeping that love to himself. He wanted to give his love to us, which is why he created us in his image, in his likeness. And because he has given us his love and we get to share in that love, you know what the Trinity does? 
individually, it destroys our self-centeredness. How many of you are self-centered? Cowards, raise your hands. You see, it destroys it. You look at the Trinity, and it destroys our self-centeredness. It tears it to shreds. That self-centered living is a static living. When you're self-centered, you're not moving towards anybody. You want people to move towards you. You want to be the sun and have all the worlds circle around you and orbit around you. You want all the planets and all the stars coming around you. Instead, when you look at the Trinity, they're coming toward each other. And that's what you and I want. That's what you and I need. We don't need to stay static. We need to move toward each other. I so appreciate, this is where C.S. Lewis comes into play. If you've never read Mere Christianity, you should read it. And you'll probably have to read it like six more times to fully understand it, but that's okay. It's on audio, so you can listen to it too. And this is something that he says in Mere Christianity. And this helps you understand the Trinity. He says, in Christianity, God is not a static thing but a dynamic, pulsing activity, a life, almost like a drama, here it is, almost a kind of dance. A kind of dance. The Trinity is a holy dance with one another. And so what we're seeing in Mark chapter 1 is a dance between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. This is a dance of all kinds of implications for us. Clearly, living a self-centered lifestyle is not what God had in mind. He wanted us to enter into the dance with him and also invite others into our dance with God. And so the implications for us in two areas, I just want to cover two areas, there's like a million areas, but two, when we correct people who are in sin and when we comfort people who need to be comforted. Think about how the world teaches us to correct. The world teaches us to correct where I go up to Tom and I say, Tom, you messed up, and I'm going to come over top of you, and you know what, if you do it again, you're going to get fired. Tom's like, wow, that was, that was, that was real loving, you know. But that's the world we live in. As opposed to when you look at the Trinity, think about how the Trinity thinks about correction. The Trinity is not about coming over top. The Trinity is about coming around and encircling. Look at Matthew 18, clearest explanation from Jesus himself. This is what he says. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three. Do you see how the circle's growing? If they still refuse, listen and, and refuse to listen, tell the church. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with you. Why is the Trinity showing up in our correction? He's showing up in our correction because he wants us not to come over top, but to come around people, to encircle them. That's what God does with us. When you sin, the Father and the Son and the Spirit don't come and squash you like a bug. Lightning's not going to come down from heaven. No, the Father and the Son envelop you because they love you. That's what you should do for your children. You shouldn't just beat them. You should come around them and support them. This is what God teaches us in his word about how to correct. We encircle, we envelop just like the Godhead. Think about this in the areas of comforting people. When you comfort somebody, if someone's really going through a hard time and you do nothing, what does that say about you? It says you don't care. But if you come around them 
That's Trinitarian. A couple weeks ago, we read Ecclesiastes chapter 4. I want to remind us again of what it says. Maybe in a different light. Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Also, if two lie down together, they, keep, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Why? Because if someone needs to be offended, we're going to come around you. If you're alone, we're going to come around you. If you're cold, we're going to surround you. Why? Because the cord of three strands is not easily broken in a sense. That's Trinitarian. That's God saying to us, listen, you get to do what we do with others and invite them into this holy dance and envelop them and encircle them so that they truly can be comforted. And how can we do this? Because we're created in the image of God. And God has called us to invite people into this dance. We don't just get to be with it with God and ourselves. We get to invite other people. So get into the dance. A couple years ago, I proposed to my wife. I did a crazy thing, and I asked her to be my wife. And I want to tell you how I did it. For some of you young men, pay attention. This is a picture. It's a picture of Jen and I. I still own that jacket, by the way. Moving on. What I did was, we, um, we, I, I decided I'd write her a song, and this is how this grew. I wrote her a song on a guitar, and some of you that are too young, you won't remember this, but we had these things back in the day called CDs. I don't know if you guys remember them. I'll show you one later. I have one in my office. And uh, I recorded it to a CD. And then I called Penn's Landing down in Philadelphia, and I said to them, I'd like to rent your ice skating rink in the middle of December. And they said, you can't do that. And I said, well, I just need five minutes. And they said, that's fine. We'll work with you. So I had an ice skating rink. I had a CD. And so then I organized both families to come and hide out so that Jen couldn't see them. And she and I show up, and we're just going around the ice, going around the ice. And there's these attendants on the ice, and they're, like, winking at me. And Jen's like, why is that guy winking at you? Like, he thinks I'm good looking, you know? And, like, we're... <laughs> We're going around. I had to play it off, you know. I said, it's kind of weird, isn't it? She goes, it's really freaking me out. And I said, don't worry about it. I said, he, you know, it'll, he'll stop eventually. And he just kept kind of doing this to me. And I'm like, you're blowing it, you know. And so we're going around the ice. And finally, I kind of gave him the nod. And he cleared the ice. This is Tenny. clears the ice. And Jen's like, should we get off the ice too? I said, no, 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 no. Let's make this about us. Let's just go around one more time. And so then the song starts playing. It's about God and Jen and God and Jen and Jen and how beautiful she is. And the song's going. And finally, the families are on the outside of the ice, and Jen realizes what's going on. And I drop to one knee on skates. <laughs> I couldn't get off my knee with one skate. She had to help me. It's pretty embarrassing. That's in the video, too. And, and I ask her to be my wife. Now, here's the thing I want you to see about this. When Christ calls us, to the dance, he calls us with the world circling around, and yet all his attention is on you, calling you to join him. Every time a bride says yes, she enters into a dance with another. And she doesn't know the future, yet she says yes. Ever thought about that? If she knew the future, would she say yes? This is what Jesus is doing. He's calling you to join the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit 
into a dance. And why does the girl say yes? She says yes because she sees her husband as something worthy of joining. And why do you say yes to God? Because you see God as someone worthy of joining. And you say, I can't imagine my life without you. I want to be a part of that dance. I want to join that. And I always want it to be us. And we'll go through hard times and you're going to comfort me. And we're going to go through hard times and you're going to correct me. But we're going to do it as part of a dance together. And so are you in the dance or do you think that God is out there somewhere and he's not interested in your life? Because let me tell you, the triune God is interested in your life. Are you in the dance or do you pray only when you are in trouble? Are you in the dance or do you look around for others to orbit you? Because the Trinity destroys all that and says, join me and call others to join me. There's a famous piece of scripture. It's found when Jesus was being confronted by the Pharisees. And they ask him, what are the two greatest commandments? You know Jesus' response. I'm going to read it for you now. I want you to see how the Trinity even is played out in the two greatest commandments. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, asked him this question, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And because Jesus knows the Trinity, this is what he says. This is interesting. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first, the greatest commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Do you see the dance? You see, you and I already love ourselves, which is why he says like yourself. We already love ourselves. Now, though, we are called to enter into a divine dance with God and bring others into that dance. That's how the Trinity is played out for us as a church and as individuals. Listen, I am excited about tasting the meat of God for the next several weeks. Are you? This is exciting. This is something we should teach our children's children. This is who God is. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the divine invitation you've given us to say, would you come into joining you in what you are doing so that the world tries to destroy who we are and what we are and what we're doing. You remind us we are in you. This is not our home. Our home is in heaven. And why are we here to make Jesus Christ known? And so, Father, would you remind us that we are in this holy dance and we have the privilege to invite others to join, step by step. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your worship. We thank you that you give us the privilege to witness. In the strong name of Jesus Christ, amen. Well, thanks for listening to today's message and choosing to spend some time with us. To get more information about Grace Community Church, our service times and location, check out our website at gccws.net.